Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. Today we have with us a very special guest, P.W. Singer. Hey there, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Let me tell you all a little bit about this incredible guest we have with us today, and then we'll dive right into our topic about all things emerging tech ethics. So P.W. Singer is a strategist at New America. That's a think tank. He's a professor of practice at Arizona State University, and he's a principal at a company known as Useful Fiction. He is a New York Times bestselling author, written a number of books, and has been described in the Wall Street Journal as the premier futurist in the national security environment. He's also been named by the Smithsonian as one of the nation's 100 leading innovators. The list goes on and on, but I think you get the idea right there that we're talking with somebody very special today. And today we're going to dive into a particular topic, social media. Uh, and Pete has actually written a book on that topic called Like War, which explores sports how social media has changed war, politics, and really the world we live in today. Um, it's been named by Amazon and Foreign Affairs as a book of the year, and it was reviewed by Booklist as required reading for everyone living in a democracy or anyone who aspires to do so. That's our audience, so I think that's a great place for us to dive into it, Pete. Why don't you just start by telling all of us, how you kind of got interested in this topic of um, the future of tech and how that's going to affect our world and how that led you to where you are today. Oh, goodness. Well, first, um, let me begin by thanking you for that incredibly kind introduction. Uh, I've always been drawn to, um, it's interesting, both future issues and in particular technology issues um, and that cross of the real and frankly the fictional. Um, I was the little kid that, uh, and this will date myself, but you know, I had Star Wars bedsheets, uh, <laughs> but I've also been um, also from that early period, a history buff. And mm. I think it's those two things coming together. Uh, so what are trends that break the rules of how we thought the way the world worked, but in turn, how are they echoes, riffs, rhymes off of what happened in the past? What can we learn from the past and applying it to that new trend or technology? And um, so that's that's been, you know, whether it was a past book looking at robotics to mm -hmm. uh, like war looking at social media, it's had that sort of link uh, that's been part of it. And frankly, maybe one other element of it is um, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon. And so I've been drawn to topics that at the time felt to me really important. And yet for whatever reason, people weren't getting it. And people right. in particular and kind of the powers that be, you know, I'd, I'd feel like this is so obvious, this matters, or this is so obvious that it is um, gonna play out this way. And yet there was some sense of kind of denial about it, often because it just didn't fit the way that we thought 
the world worked mm-hmm. or it was something that there was kind of a built-in bias around it where, you know, for example, um, maybe people were invested in it. And so that's why they could only portray it for the good. And so I'd right. be the going, well, but actually there's this part that might be for the bad, or right. it might be on certain issues. Um, no, that doesn't matter. And I'd be like, don't you see it really does matter or it's going to matter even more. Yeah, or, or and that leads right into the whole issue about social media and and and, and like where I mean, we'll talk about it in just a second. So let's just talk about your book and what it was. So you wrote this book called Like War, which I think is really, really, you know, it was written a couple of years ago. It's not that long ago, but it's still really relevant today, given the rise again of the Facebook files and the criticisms of Instagram and how it's affecting, you know, young girls and really just, you know, how it's affected our lives in general with the elections and, you know, democracy in general. And so I, I think it's worth revisiting um, in this episode for the podcast, your book. And, and your book was about social media, how it's become weaponized and, and what we need to know about it. So well, let me just stop there and ask you, why did you write that book? And, and, you know, two years later, back to you saying you're kind of a curmudgeon, it wasn't getting enough attention. What do you think about it now? Is it getting enough attention? <laughs> so the, <laughs> the starting point for that project was actually a, a series of conversations that I had with a um, young colleague, uh, Emerson Brooking. And this is way back in the day. This is in the period of like, oh gosh, um, 2012-ish, mm-hmm. and we're talking about this um, new technology space of social media. And if you recall, it was either something that people felt um, was, uh, in terms of its its uh, consequences, mm-hmm. it was either kind of light and airy. It didn't matter. It was just for fun. It was right. just for social relationships. Right. Um, you know, meeting, uh, you know, I mean, look, Facebook starts as a way to rate who in your dorm was hot or not. That's the origin of all this. And then it starts to become a little bit of big money, but basically it was kind of like, this is all just light airy yeah. or it was framed as something that was only for the good. So if you go back in time, it was, um, you know, you had uh, Facebook's advertisements that were, um, now they almost sound kind of dystopian, (laughs) quote, the more you connect, the better it gets. Right. Is it really that? Um, That was their their tagline back then too. The New York Times had an article on the democratizing power of social media, how it's going to make the world more free, make everyone more happy, Mm -hmm. more peaceful. Um, And we, you know, we're we're sort of, well, is that really the case? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that the case of um, what we've seen in the past with mm-hmm. past technologies? And you can find mm-hmm. similar kind of discourse around like the telegraph uh, or the radio or whatnot, but also that, hold it, there's bad guys in the world. And and our project started with a look at, well, but how are bad guys using this technology too? Right. And right. that that research project is what, you know, and we started looking at places like Iraq and Syria, but what happened is um, the more we looked at how groups were using social media, we kept seeing this replication of similar approaches where, for instance, um, ISIS's top recruiter was copycatting Taylor Swift, or to flip it, um, Lady Gaga fans were copycatting what 
Russian military intelligence was doing against everything from Ukrainian soldiers to US elections. Um, we saw corporations and teenagers using the very same practices online. And of course, the effect of all of this was both good, um, yeah. ice bucket challenge, and yeah. bad, uh, ISIS propaganda. And so what it led us is this realization that um, social media, it was, yes, it was a communication space. Yes, it was also a marketplace, right. but simultaneously, it was a battle space. And it was a battle space where we were seeing what we called like war. And so if you think of cyber war as hacking networks, which again right. has hit everything from governments to corporations, yep. like war was hacking people on the networks by driving ideas viral through, you know, mm -hmm. likes and shares and sometimes lies. And the same thing, it was affecting everything from governments to corporations to yeah. individuals. And so that's, yeah. that's what the Life War Project was about. That's how it started. And yeah, um, yeah it, it continues to resonate today, you know, whatever topic you care about, whether it's um, uh, politics on the, the international level or domestic politics, or you care about public health, or you care about your corporation's brand or its marketing or what employees are thinking and doing all the way down to your customers to guess what your kids. Yeah. Everybody's shaped by, targeted by, and engaging in like war, whether they know it or not. Yeah. Okay, so I have to stop for just a minute and have you say a few more words about Taylor Swift and what what tactics was ISIS learning from what Taylor Swift was doing? I know a lot of people in our audience are fans of Taylor Swift. <laughs> so I, I joke, um, and this is the the military, anyone with a military background, and, and maybe maybe some business school readers have um, heard of Clausewitz. And Clausewitz right. was the um, German... Uh, officer slash um, military strategist that uh, wrote this book called On War. And it's sort of the, the foundational um, uh, you know military strategy book. And if you're in any military academy, you have to read it. And a lot of business people's read uh, On War and the like. And um, I joke that Taylor Swift is the Clausewitz of online uh, of like war. She's the oh, Clausewitz of, um, and, and, and again, what's so interesting is she literally, while she's a young teenager, writes down her strategy for how she understands this emerging area of social media mm. and how she's going to use it to achieve her goals, which ah. is to uh, um, you know, basically get her music out there, right. get a record contract, right. um, ultimately become, I mean, I think she was the um, youngest, uh, I want to say like self-made multimillionaire. I mean, all, yeah. all sorts of, you know, whether you're judging it by you like your music or you just respect her business. Um, and she, in this, she lays it out in this essay um, and essentially, you know, it, it lays out her understanding of um, everything from, uh, you know, how you build an online following and the importance of feeding them and the, I have to go back and find the rough quote, but like feeding them a daily diet of tiny surprises. So you're mm. keeping people engaged. But, yeah. Um, you're utilizing yeah. that following for your goals. You're not right. just 
you're, you're engaging them, lifting up. I mean, there's unfortunately uh, people, you know, learn from that and, and, and uh, including um, some of the recruiters for ISIS Bad people, um, right. and uh, Janaid Hussein was a recruiter for ISIS um, who uh, used many of the very same techniques. Um, okay. The flip side, uh, and I think this is a, maybe a more um, interesting and challenging uh, story for a lot of people working on the business side is what the Lady Gaga fans learned from Russian military intelligence. Yeah, what's They that? basically looked at um, what Russia had done to um, essentially sabotage uh, U.S. democracy, uh, target elections and U.S., but also over 30 other um, democracies out there, basically by using a mix of everything from false front accounts to driving misinformation, um, false stories, viral, um, painting lies out there. Um, and in, as part of getting people to believe the lie, mm -hmm. posing as trusted figures and or trying to create movements around trusted figures. So during the election, it was, um, you know, false information about um, you know, this or that, but uh, Russians posing as an American veteran or a grandmother or you know, whatever, people that right. we tend to trust more. Right. Um, the Lady Gaga fans um, were troubled when um, her movie, her first ever movie was gonna come out, A Star is Born, and um, other corporations had the temerity to have their rival movies come out the same weekend. Uh -huh. And so the Lady Gaga fans openly online discussed and said, well, what the Russians did, we could do that too. Um, one rival was the movie Venom. And so they posed as everything from um, people who had seen this other movie and would push uh, false stories about it Got to it. Um, concerned parents about violence in movies like this horrible movie Venom that's out there. And much like what the um, Russians achieved, the key was not just to drive online discussion of the target, but there's a great data point that illustrates the power of like war. Over 90% of professional journalists use social media to decide what stories to cover or not. So whether it's it's a radio producer, um, yeah. a newspaper reporter. So in this case, the fans got coverage of their false movements uh -huh. on local radio shows and the like, because people would see this discussion trending. And yeah. so you would have people listening to the radio hearing about it, even though it you know wasn't uh, the case. And, and it's the same thing the Russians were able to achieve. Isn't that, I mean, it's so interesting to listen to you describe these, these kind of different themes coming together in different universes that folks may never really think were, were um, alike in many respects, right? Like war, and you're talking about things that Russia did to, you know, affect U.S. elections and democracy, and those same tactics being used on, in the business side. I mean, nobody, I think, before would have thought that those two worlds would have, would have intersected in that way to, you know, to think about the same kind of tactics. And, you know, something else you said, I think, is really, really powerful for folks to think about um, and how to use it the right way and not the wrong way, which is it's not just what's online, right? Like, I mean, talking about the misinformation during the 2016 election, you, you point out in your book that it was like half of the U.S. population ended up being reached by things on Facebook. Um, and there were like almost 288 million, I think, tweets so like on Twitter, but it didn't stop there. To your point, it got picked up by like 
90% of journalists see what's trending on social media and it just gets, you know, broader and broader in terms of distribution. So that brings me back to a question that I'm hoping you can answer for us, Pete. What is it that makes some of those things go viral and some not? Yeah, it's a great um, question. And it was interesting when we looked at um, information that went viral, again, whether it was something um, positive, you know, like, and I go back, maybe it's just because I like the rhyme of it, but, you know, ice bucket challenge, what could we think of, you know, I mean, so positive in it and its goals and effect to ISIS propaganda, or, you know, if you were looking at um, Russian messaging to um, vaccine mis and disinformation, I mean, again, you know, positive or negatives, um, we found that consistently there were a series of attributes that the information that was more likely to go viral would have. And importantly, um, veracity was not one of them. Uh, so, you know, one of the rules of like war is uh, the lesson that virality trumps veracity. Doesn't mean that the truth can't go viral. It can. It's just, it's the speed, it's the reach of it that gives information its power. But again, when we looked at these um, incidents of something going viral for the good, for the bad, for a corporate marketing campaign to um, disinformation, uh, there were elements like, we break it down in the book, but um, one, for example, is um, uh, authenticity. The feel that there is something real about it, but real doesn't mean reality. It means operating in an online, authentic manner. So um, I would use the example of um, Wendy's is, um, the, the online account Wendy's is, is not, it's not actually Wendy, right? But that account had high scores of authenticity compared to Hillary Clinton, who is a real Interesting. person. Yeah. And part of it is not just about the how one speaks, but the back-end process behind it. So mm-hmm. this was, again, a, a parallel of um, uh, military and corporate and business side, uh, sorry, corporate and, and, and political side, is when we looked at you know, breaking down, okay, but the message that's put out there, what was the chain of events behind it? Um, you know, the the Clinton campaign back in the day had, I want to say it was something like 16 different people all weighing in on a single message. You would get lowest common denominator approaches. Yeah. It would be slow in its turnaround. So real person, yet the online messaging did not feel real. Yeah. Um, U.S. military had a very similar problem in counter ISIS information in the early part of that, where they had, um, if I recall, it was a team of like, eight colonels, almost none of them spoke Arabic, debating Mm. back and forth on the appropriate message at the same time that, you know, individual ISIS members are just tweeting out there about everything from their terrorism to their cats. So Mm. like them or not, they they felt real. Another um, example is the idea of um, building up an online movement around you where you're leveraging that followership to push that out. Another example, and this was a, a, a really um, good insight. There was a parallel of um, both uh, Russian misinformation to the Trump campaign did this very well. And certain corporations do it very well is to understand that every message is um, both a weapon 
you know, it has a, has a goal, a weapon, a tool. It, 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 it right. has to seek to accomplish something, right. but it's also an experiment. It sends back data about its success or failure with that individual target, yep. but everyone in the world who's like that target. And then you take that experiment, refine, experiment again, refine. And if you can rapidly iterate that, you'll be much more better off. Um, and entities that don't do that, that just kind of fire it out there yeah. and hope for success, they yeah. will not succeed. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole Very bunch of lessons of this. I mean, we could spend all day talking. Oh, yeah, about. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, and I'm sure you cover that topic a little bit more in your book as well. So we, we can always, you can, people can always go there and to find a little bit more. But let me ask you a question. I always like to help the audience understand what can they, what can they do to improve in this space and try to ferret out whether you're a company or an individual, like, improve, improvement of digital, let me start here, digital literacy, I think among, and maybe that's not quite the right term, but being literate about what you're seeing and whether or not you, it's appropriate to share it further, or, you know, you are checking the veracity because back to you said, you know, sometimes it's the speed, it's not necessarily what's true, but what we have some responsibility as individuals and companies do too, to, to not just, you know, continue to share misinformation. So what what is the digital literacy rate and what can folks and companies do to improve on that? Yeah, so I think, you know, let's break it down into sort of overall, what can we do or should we do? And yeah. then get down into the individual part of it. Overall, whether um, it's the US government to your corporation working in this space, um, first, you, you know, this is very obvious, but it's funny how many don't have it. You need a strategy. And um, many entities, whether it's U.S. government to uh, corporations, they have a public affairs strategy yeah. or they have a cybersecurity strategy. You know, don't, yep. don't hack my networks. Right. You <laughs> don't have a strategy for this space. And the important part of a strategy is that it you know, both lays out what's my goals, what's my measures, how am I funding, what, who, what are the areas of responsibility, and um, what actually happens, and again, it, I can speak better about the U.S government versus like individual companies is um, we have a lot of activity, but it's um, not well coordinated and certain elements of it are ad hoc in response. Mm -hmm. So U.S. government, for example, you know, we had a Russia working group that brought together um, intelligence community and FBI. We also had a election working group but you know the threats not just russia the issues of mis and disinformation are not just elections it we didn't have you know it's hit pandemics um also right. the entities that you want involved is not just uh fbi or um uh, intelligence community you need state department you need judiciary yeah. you need department of education so strategy second part Again, whether you're looking at the corporate side is basically um, not just my strategy, but how do I think through my responsibilities in this space? Right. Right. And that is something that, um, to be frank, uh, too many of the technology companies um, have not had that discussion in terms of not just my responsibilities, but who do I believe I am versus mm -hmm. who am I truly? So too many of the tech companies, the platform companies, um, imagine themselves as solely technology creators, as opposed to they, as I said before, are running not just a communication space, 
not just a marketplace, but like it or not, they're also running a battle space right now. And that brings very different sets of responsibilities. One of the most important is consistently when companies get into trouble and then it creates bad consequences for society is when they wait for the bad thing to happen instead of gaming it out. How might bad guys misuse my product and or good guys and gals misuse it unintentionally. Right. So, you know, everything from, um, I'll give a a more specific example of this. Um, Facebook was, um, you know, we set aside all the sort of deliberate things like just when they pushed out um, video streaming, they were stunned and had no process in place for when terrorists live streamed their mass killings right and teenagers live streamed their suicides right anyone who knew anything about terrorism and teenagers could have said hey this is something that is going to happen let alone yeah. might happen what are your process what's your pot instead of being surprised by that mm-hmm. um and we see more recent examples of this so like twitter had a policy that you know they thought were the good and every single expert was like but this is what's going to happen from you know far-right neo-nazis are going to misuse it in this way and then it happens and they're like oh yeah sorry about that so what yeah. are your roles and responsibilities but now yeah. we get to the final thing that you brought out which is us as individuals yeah and um what we need is um something that's been called cyber citizenship skills and it brings together three areas one is digital or media literacy this is basically um understanding how this space works what's the difference between fact and opinion um how do algorithms work and how they shape what you see or not um what is evidence second area is the civics citizenship discourse, which is basically not what do you know, but how do you behave online? Mm -hmm. Um, Don't be an internet troll, don't be a cyber bully. The effect that the internet has on our democracy and other people, that kind of behavioral discussion. And then there's a third area, which is threat awareness. How are malicious actors trying to target you. Now, mm. traditionally, that's been a um, cybersecurity discourse. You know, don't mm. click that link. Right. Um, but it also needs to now have a part of it of like missing disinformation. How are they trying to manipulate you? And the key here is that you need all three of those. It, it can't be enough to um, be able to tell fact from opinion if you don't know how people are trying to manipulate you, even sometimes with fact. Um, oh. Or yeah, you can know fact from opinion, but if someone's being a, a troll, we're still in a bad place. And um, the challenge is in the United States, for the most part, we don't teach those skills across, um, you know, we've got roughly around 11,000 school systems. Yeah. Now it feel, I'm going to end on this point. It feels very kind of daunting. On the other hand, um, other democracies do, and they're much better off uh, against these issues. So um, Estonia did not um, break up Facebook. Um, Estonia did not um, make Russia stop attacking it. And yet, because Estonia has caught its its strategy and its teaching up to this issue, it's far more resilient against these problems and a healthier democracy and a healthier society. Again, whether you care about public health and pandemic or democracy or just your kids are doing a um, search for 
who built the pyramids, you yeah. need skills. Yeah. Wow. How interesting. So, so much to learn in that particular space that, you know, the U.S. can actually learn, like you said, by looking at some others. It sounds like we have a lot to do there and that it's not really happening today. So Pete, you are so deep into this issue and such an incredible expert that I, I always like to leave my audience with some great resources. Your website is one of them. You've got all kinds of great resources there. But where does somebody like you go to for additional information that you would like to maybe recommend to the audience if they want to go a little, a little deeper on this particular issue? So on the topic of... Um like war, I'll steer, your, I'll steer you to two locales that hopefully are useful. Okay. Um, one is, uh, and I want to be clear, is, is, is actually social media itself, but um, not to, uh, you know, in no way, shape or form have I said, stop using it or, you know, right. kind of the, the old school, just say no. I mean, right. most of us don't have that, that choice, nor would we want to take it. Right. So um, what we've done, myself and uh, my co-author Emerson Brooking, over the last several years, we basically would mark information that we thought was useful with hashtag like war. So it might be a um, article on X, Y, or Z. It might be something from the, the, the prediction from the book that came out. It might be an interesting study. So um, hashtag like war, it doesn't just take you to the book. It's, it's things by all sorts of different researchers and the like. The second okay. is a set of resources that was built in partnership with um, uh, Cyber Florida, which is the cybersecurity education program for Florida and okay. um, the National Association of Media Literacy Educators and New America, which is the think tank that I work at. And we teamed up to build, um, it's uh, essentially the Cyber Citizenship Portal um, it's on OER Commons. The best way, again, to find it rather than trying to, you know, get this yeah. is basically Google uh, Cyber Citizenship uh, New America or Cyber Citizenship yeah. Cyber Florida. Yeah. And what we've built there is a portal that brings together over a hundred different teaching tools on this topic of mis and disinformation. So not ones that we've built, but ones that have been built by researchers and companies in everywhere from America to Austria. And we've even um, cataloged it uh, so that it's marked for everything from which of these are free or not mm -hmm. to um, age appropriateness because you know something that's appropriate for a fourth grader is right. different than something for a 12th grader or an adult sure. or whatnot and right. so it's basically a portal that you can go into and get everything from um educational games to curriculum resources on this topic uh i'll put a, a plug in we built this as part of i'm um, trying to help the florida uh -huh. uh, education system um you might have heard there's more than one state in the United States. So <laughs> it would be great to have these kind of resources for teachers in all of our different states. And again, oh, it's yeah. not saying this is the exact way you have to teach it. It's no, rather right. here's a bunch of different, here's a, a series of tools sure. pulled either by teachers or anyone else to learn from. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, cyber citizenship, I think is, is um, 
what we're calling it. And uh, yeah, I, it's such a new field that resources at all would be fantastic to have. So Pete, thank you so much for your time with us today and for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and taking us into the good and the bad of social media and, and where we can go to learn more about um, our responsibilities on, on um, cyber citizenship. So I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.